The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or, what you, or, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The Gospel text this morning uh, is quite special to me uh, and to my wife, Jamie. It is the Gospel text that we chose for our wedding ceremony. You might guess that we were a little bit nervous about getting married. <laughs> Not surprisingly, perhaps, both her parents and mine had been divorced, so we had some issues around that. And on one level, that was right, we were anxious and nervous as we began our life together. On a deeper level, however, this gospel gave us comfort knowing that God cared for us and knew about our worries and would provide us with what we needed in order to build a life together. Now, I don't need to tell you that marriage is not required to have experience with worry and anxiety, although it helps. <laughs> they are deep and chronic parts of the human condition. It's not an accident, I don't think, that some of Jesus' favorite phrases throughout the Gospels are, don't worry, don't be afraid. In this passage, Jesus gently chides his listeners, then and now, to not worry about essentials, 
in particular, food and clothing. Now, in the comfortable western suburbs of Boston, many of us may spend a lot of time worrying about things we think are essential. But if we just pay attention to what's going on around us, near and far in Asia, for example, most recently, there are people really who are worried, rightly so, about what they're going to eat and where they're going to sleep. Or we might think of those on this uh, Memorial Day weekend, those who serve in the armed services, who really are worried, am I going to make it till tomorrow? I might not. Nonetheless, even here in the Boston suburbs, anxiety and fear, worry, call it what you will, can be seriously debilitating. We have worries about all kinds of things. Fears of not being loved or liked, fears of not being good enough, fears of not getting what I want or what I need, fears of losing what I have, fear of other people's judgments or opinions of us. We may have financial fears, or we may have reason to believe that we're in danger physically from time to time. And these fears may have more or less basis in reality. Now, I think, if we think about it, we can realize that the people that Jesus was first addressing with these words in the first century, at least in part, probably really, some of them really did have to worry about where they were going to eat next and where they were going to sleep and where were they going to find clothes. Now, there are many possible treatments for us for the kind of worry and fear that bind and paralyze us. There might be medication. There's been all kinds of advances in the last 10, 15, 20 years in medicine that can help us with the uh, physical, uh, biological, physiological roots of anxiety and worry. Exercise can work wonders. Simple exercise can do wonders. Prayer and meditation. Uh, the wonder of psychotherapy with a trusted counselor in talking through things or doing cognitive kinds of behavioral therapy. All these things can work wonders in combination or by themselves. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, not being a 21st century psychotherapist or a physician, has a different prescription for worry. It doesn't take the place of these other approaches, but it may well be the bedrock that lies beneath them. And Jesus' prescription is this. Strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. What exactly does that mean? Well, I have a short definition that, that I have come to hold up for myself that I find by rearranging the words and using new words kind of brings new meaning to me. For those, uh, for those phrases. And uh, I should say, like most things that we hold up for ourselves as ideals, it's honored usually in the breach, but nonetheless, it's what we strive for. And this phrase comes from the centering prayer tradition of Thomas Keating and others. It's not something I made up. And it's this. Strive for habits of devotion to God and service to others. 
strive for habits of devotion to God and service to others. Simple, but surely not easy. Now, I think uh, when Jesus was saying these things, he may have had two assumptions in mind, and I certainly have these two assumptions in mind as I think about them. The first assumption is this. God loves us, cares for us more than we can imagine, and wants what's best for us. And we see this in our readings this morning from Isaiah, that wonderful image of the nursing mother. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, and we may have experience with caregivers who have neglected us, but God will not forget. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. It's hard for me not to hear that phrase and then see the images of Jesus' hands with the wounds there. Or in the psalm, another wonderful maternal image of the, of the child lying on the mother's breast, soul quieted within. And of course, from the gospel, are you not of more value than the birds of the air? Will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So the first assumption is that God cares for us passionately, deeply, more than we can fathom or imagine. The second assumption behind seeking the kingdom of God and God's righteousness is this. As we get out of ourselves, we will find the peace of mind that God has in store for us. The peace that passes all understanding that is what we're meant to have. Now, for sure, this won't happen all the time, not this side of heaven. And in fact, uh, one crusty early church father put this rather bluntly, this kind of feeling that once you get the Holy Spirit, you know, it's easy street from here on now. And he says this, I'm convinced that not even the apostles, although filled with the Holy Spirit, were therefore completely free from anxiety. Contrary to the stupid, this is his word, not mine, contrary to the stupid view expressed by some, the advent of grace does not mean the immediate deliverance from anxiety. Nonetheless, getting out of ourselves, serving others, brings us closer to God's righteousness and God's kingdom. Sometimes, oftentimes, this reaching out takes discipline. We just don't feel like it. But it can and does lead to health. I read somewhere about Alfred Adler, who was one of Freud's contemporaries in the birth of psychotherapy early in the last century. Some of you probably know a lot more about Arthur Ad Alfred Adler than I do. So I'll try to keep this brief. Anyway, Alfred Adler had this... Um, thing that he called the 14-day cure. And there's a story about his application of this cure to someone who came to him. A woman came to him deeply, deeply depressed. 
And he told her that he could cure her in 14 days. Well, how? She asked. She was quite skeptical. And he said to her, if you will do one thing for someone else for the next 14 days, each day for the next 14 days, at the end of that time, your depression will be gone. Well, apparently she objected and she said, well, you know, why should I do something for someone else when no one ever does anything for me? And his response apparently was, well, maybe with you it'll take 21 days. (laughs) At least think about what you might do if you felt like it each day for the next 21 days. And you'll feel better. Now, again, this is not to dismiss the medical and physiological approaches to the curse of debilitating anxiety and worry. But it does suggest that beneath it all, there must be a fundamental reorientation away from self. Toward God, toward others. As St. Paul puts it elsewhere, and St. Paul was no stranger to anxiety and worry, as St. Paul puts it, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.